Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Our series is called Promises and Power, focusing on Israel capturing the promised land, guided by their new leader, Joshua. In today's episode, we start in Joshua chapter 23. You'll see Joshua's words to Israel's leaders. He sought to encourage them toward love and devotion for God and his covenant so that they would communicate this passion to the people. The message is called Cling. Here's Senior Pastor Ferry Duggar. God makes many promises to us. And one of those is that he will empower us to fulfill his promises, though not always ours. Sometimes he empowers us for our ideas, but we know that he empowers us to fulfill those promises that he has given us. Now, today's title is clinging. Now, in our culture, that's not a very positive word, is it? We don't think of that, but in this context and in this passage, it's very positive because it means clinging as in holding on or holding fast to God. Now, I'm going to skip through the middle part of the book of Joshua. We covered, um, obviously, Joshua becoming leader and uh, the change of leadership, which coincided perfectly with ours, with me sliding to a different position, Brian Jones taking over as lead pastor this coming summer. Um, Then they crossed through the Jordan River. Uh, They renewed their covenant. And then they fought Jericho. They lost to Ai, and then they defeated Ai, and all that was in chapter 6 through 10. I'm skipping over the latter part of chapter 10 through 12, which is both the southern campaign and the northern campaigns in the conquest of Canaan. And in chapters 13 through 22, I encourage you to to read them, but it shows how the land was specifically divided out among the tribes. Now today, we're moving toward the end of this book, and I'll focus on the farewell address that Joshua made to Israel's leaders Joshua chapter 23, and it's on page 198 in this Bible available here. Verse 1, the years passed, and the Lord had given the people of Israel rest from all their enemies. Now, they've been in Canaan, in the promised land, probably more than 25 years So although it reads quickly, it was much slower in practice. And so they they battled many different kings, and they called them nations, but they were really more like city-states. And so it lasted more than two decades. And Joshua, who was now very old, called together all the elders, leaders, judges, and officers of Israel. He said to them, I am now a very old man. Uh, This likely occurred shortly before Joshua's death, and he died at 110 years old. See, what he's doing is he's gathering the leaders, not all the people, just all the leaders of the people, and he's trying to inspire them. He knows that, you know, his, his days are numbered, and a lot of us have read of the final remarks of different people. What's most important? What would you want to leave? 
Each of us would have something we would want to leave to our, our spouses, to our children, to our grandchildren. And so Joshua had invested in these people, and God had invested in him. And so he wants to inspire sincere devotion for God in these leaders, believing that then these leaders would then communicate their passion for God and his covenant to the people. He knew that he wasn't going to be there to guide anymore. And so he wanted to leave these these people with the mindset of loving and following God. And they would communicate that long after he was gone. If you take out your outline, you can see that the theme verse that I've chosen from this same chapter is cling tightly to the Lord your God as you have done until now. To encourage them to follow God closely, Joshua described the nature of God because he wanted, he wanted to draw them to God and he wants to draw us to God. So he says, cling tightly. And here's just a couple of encouragements. First, cling tightly to God by considering his goodness. Verse 3. The Lord your God has fought for you against your enemies. I have allotted to you as your homeland all the land of the nations yet unconquered, notice that, as well as the land of those we have already conquered from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. Joshua's emphasis was on remembering that God had given the land to them, then enabled them to take possession of it. So he wanted to, them to remember that as they enjoyed the blessing of possessing it. Israel controlled the land. Joshua 21, 43 and 44 say this, that clearly. But, as he's just said, not all the land has been conquered. That seems a little inconsistent, doesn't it? Canaanites still lived among them. Now, at this point, it, you said, but it, but it said the land had rest, and they rested for battle. Well, at this stage, the Canaanites posed little threat. They had largely been subdued. The most powerful cities had been defeated. But all the people weren't driven out. The, they were afraid of Israel because they saw the might of Israel and they knew the might of their God. So these people were, were, were quiet, but they were still present. And there still remained territory to possess. And there were still some pockets of resistance to overcome. The task of Israel's tribes wasn't finished, yet there was much to celebrate. Think about it. Think about where they had come from. Now remember, the adults were gone. The adults that first came out of uh, slavery were now gone, but the children were not. Everyone above 20 years old uh, died off in the wilderness, except for Two, who were they? Joshua and Caleb. But the children also came out of slavery. This is 40 years later. 
These people had been freed slaves. As slaves, they owned nothing. They didn't have homes. They were driven uh, mercilessly. And then even in the wilderness, after leaving Egypt, they were constantly on the move, living out there for 40 years. I mean, imagine, you can never get comfortable because they followed what during the day? Pillar of cloud. And what they followed during the night? Fire. Well, you think about it. You've found a comfortable place. Maybe you found the one palm tree and you wrapped yourself around it. And so you set up your family, and here goes God, there's the fire. We have to move again. Well, do you think any of them thought like that? Would you have thought like that? Well, of course they thought like that. I wish God would take a break. I just got my little place dug out, and I moved all the stones so we could sleep, and here he goes again. we got to walk again. So it was 40 years of this in the wilderness. But through Abraham, God had promised them a permanent place to live. Hebrews 11 points it out so beautifully. They looked ahead. They knew that there was a place they could stop permanently, own a piece of land, build a camp perhaps a house. And so they continually were in search of it. This good God who overcame their enemies in the past would help to overcome them in the future. Has God been good to you? Now let's be honest, but you don't have to raise your hands or anything. Do you tend to be more negative or more positive about the state of your life? It's more an attitude than it is an actuality. You know that, don't you? And I wonder if we think enough about all the ways that God has been good to us. We've been saved. And there may be some of you, we always want people here who are, who are asking the questions of salvation. So if you're not yet a member of God's family, you've been invited to embrace Christ in faith. But those of us that have been saved have been forgiven. We've also been restored, regardless of where you came from or what you were involved in. You've been restored. You've been granted a permanent home in heaven. But that awaits you. You don't have it yet. But you are living in the promised land. Some scholars write that the promised land is a, a spiritual reference to heaven. I don't think so. I think rather the promised land is living in the spirit on earth. And so we are living in the promised land for us. Doesn't it fit? It sure is good, but some days not so good. And there's still some challenges ahead. There's financial issues. There's relational issues. There's health issues, medical issues, many difficulties and obstacles. But God will fight these enemies with us and for us. And, and we're never alone. You know, as I look around this congregation, I see 
many people that have struggled with very serious issues, whether they be financial, some have struggled with serious medical issues we have in our family, but we've never been alone, have we? We've never been alone. And so we have, we have hope because we know that God is in this battle with us. He will battle opposition from our culture that has already come and is sure to intensify. Because if we stand firm for God, our culture will attack. And I think greater in coming days, our beliefs and our morals. Even today, we are referred to as immoral for pointing out what the Bible considers immoral. So consider what God has done for you. What's he done in the past? You know that old song, count your many blessings, name them one by one. I wonder how often we do that versus how often we list our problems in the morning. How do you start your day? Because in Christ, you have many more blessings, much more grace than you have difficulties and problems. And if you reflect on where God has brought you from and what he's done from you for you, does that help you to hold fast with courage, with confidence, even as you face future adversaries? Do you have that assurance? Look at this, Philippians 1.6. Here's a promise. I am certain that God who began the good work within you. Now, each of you have to identify what the good work is within you that God began. But that good work will continue until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So will it be finished during your lifetime? Will it? Somebody's saying maybe over there. Who is that? Is that Michael? You think it's going to be finished, Michael? Come up here with me. <laughs> Not until Christ returns. You wonder why God didn't drive out all of Israel's enemies. You have any idea? And why does he not fix every problem in your life? Do you walk closer with, with God when you have no problems? No health problems, no wealth problems, no relational problems, no physical problems, no mental problems. Does that, is that when you're closest to God? I don't think so. I think it's when we struggle that we hold more closely, don't we? And it's when we grow much more effectively. Joshua continued, cling tightly to God by contemplating his promises. Verse 5. This land will be yours. For the Lord your God will himself drive out all the people living there. You will take possession of their land 
just as the Lord your God promised you. God will continue to empower the conquest. And this, this promise of land, remember it began back with Abraham. You can find it in Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15. But it was renewed so that Abraham's descendants didn't forget. It was renewed to Isaac. It was renewed more than once to Jacob. Then Jacob communicated the fact that the land had been promised to Joseph. And God would fulfill this promise. He promised them and he's promised us. But there are conditions to him fulfilling theirs and to him fulfilling ours. Verse 6. So be very careful to follow everything Moses wrote in the book of instruction. That's a primarily a reference to Deuteronomy. I've told you before. It, it also implies all of the book of the law, all of the scripture given. But remember that I told you that Deuteronomy, the word deutero means what? It means two, second. So if it's confusing to you, you say, well, it looks like this just repeats. That's exactly what it does. Because God gave the law to whom first? To Moses where? Mount Sinai. But then he later spoke the law, almost in the form of a long sermon, to all the people. So that's why you have the law in Exodus, and then you have the law repeated in Deuteronomy. Do not deviate from it, turning either to the right or the left. So does this mean that we can sort of take or leave what the Bible says? I mean, let's be honest. Do you think some of what the Bible says is outdated? I mean, isn't, isn't the Bible a little bit naive about sexuality, about gender, about... What do you think? Well, see, you have to decide... Is the Bible true? And if, you, if it is and you want to receive the, the promises of God in your life, you can't deviate to the left or to the right. And so we take God's word as direction, not as suggestion. We don't have the final word. He already did. Israel entered and conquered the land as the fulfillment of God's covenant promise. But there full enjoyment of this land going forward and the ability to conquer more of it depended on their obedience to the law of the Lord. You ever wonder why you know the Lord and yet you're so miserable? Some of us, some of us think, well, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I'm miserable. My life's not going well, well at all. Well, I wonder if this problem might be there, that you have decided to follow your guidelines instead of God's. Because enjoying the promised land, life in the Spirit, requires that we follow after the Spirit in our lives. And that's where the peace and the wholeness and the optimism, and the comfort. All names for the, for the Holy Spirit, aren't they? 
the comforter, the counselor, will be with you. But not if you quench him, not if you ignore him, not if you resist him. See, we're at a great advantage. Israel, they didn't all possess the Spirit in an unlimited way. But we do. So God would enable them to claim their inheritance if they would obey Him with all their hearts. And they would if they contemplated the promises He had already fulfilled for them. Have you noticed how different your attitude is when you're focusing on your appreciation for what God's done versus your complaint about what's yet to happen? The whole world looks different, doesn't it? And it's experienced differently. Joshua warned the leaders of a threat, though, that they must be aware of. Verse 7. Make sure you do not associate with the other people still remaining in the land. Don't even mention the names of their gods, much less swear by them or serve them or worship them. You see a progression? Don't hang around with these folks. Don't mention the names of their gods. Don't serve them and definitely don't worship them. See, the greater danger for these people, the great danger was that the people of Israel would change their attitudes toward these pagan practices around them. I mean, they would start off just saying, oh, well, that's just normal. And these people were involved in terrible things, human sacrifices, worship of Satan that they called Baal, I believe you can get used to anything, even anything awful, terrible, by exposing yourself to it. You want a lesson? Turn on the channel that you usually watch tonight and then think about what you were watching 10 years ago and how shockingly different it is. So these Israelites, you know, they said, well, we want to be friendly with them. We're tired of fighting. So they would hang around with them. And then they got used to referring to the names of their gods when they were mad. Then they started serving their gods and, and following the lifestyles and the practices. And then after a while, they, they just went to worship with them. And they were fully ingrained in practicing this idolatry themselves. You see any similarities in our world? How many things are we allowing in our home that we never would have considered 10 years ago? What are we buying tickets to that we wouldn't consider attending years ago? How many of these things have we just indulged I mean, the truth is, years ago, there, there wasn't a lot of outright Satanism on television. I mean, there were occasion, occasional um, movies, The Exorcist, you know, The Omen, some of those, but not like 
today. Today, these award shows are satanic. I mean, performances at the Super Bowl. And you say, oh, you're taking that too seriously. No, the problem is you're not taking it seriously enough because you've grown accustomed to it. Oh, it's just pretend. It's just entertainment. No, it's real. And it's desensitizing you to its evil and its influence on you. Where are you drawing the lines on these behaviors today? Is that line different than it would have been 10 years ago? Which one's closer to what God would have you to do? Joshua warned that through association with the lifestyles and the practices of these people, Israel would be progressively desensitized to the evil of the culture, particularly their worship, which sacrificed humans, even their own children. You can put yourself in a place you would never think it possible. You know what? I think I see some indicators in our culture where certain groups are considered the enemy for whatever reason. Their views on politics, their views on vaccines, their views on, on, on anything. But there's a way to see you as other than me. Sometimes it's as, it's as minimal as racial, which is not a great difference at all. Because once I can categorize you as different, I can justify treating you any way at all. And that's why we have to see people from God's perspective always. Israel was called to remain a separated people by focusing on their faith and on their God. Verse 8, and here's where the theme verse comes in. Rather, cling tightly. Now, the Hebrew behind that is, is dollback, and what it means is hold fast, follow close. Would you say that's how you follow God? Are you holding fast? Are you clinging tightly to the Lord your God as you have done until now. This Hebrew word is also used in Genesis 2, but there it refers to the connection between a husband and wife. And it's talking about the depth of connection, the intimacy that's present. In Deuteronomy 4, this Hebrew word is, is translated as faithful. Unfortunately, I think in English we have strip that word of its deeper meaning because faithful means an action of a whole person in terms of intimacy and I'm afraid we've minimized it to just mean not commit adultery but you can mistreat people in a lot of ways short of committing adultery can't you and I mean your spouse Joshua then reminded these leaders again of the wonderful ways that God had fulfilled his many, many promises so they could hold tightly and avoid these idolatrous Canaanites. Verse 9, for the Lord has driven out great and powerful nations. 
they're referred to as nations, and they had kings, but rem remember they were closer to what you would call city-states. And no one has yet been able to defeat you. Now, you'd have to say ultimately because I did defeat them temporarily and then they defeated I. Each one of you will put to flight a thousand of the enemy for the Lord your God fights for you just as he has promised. Are you clinging to God? That's a question for each of us. Am I clinging to God? Or am I associating with the Canaanites in my culture? Look at your schedule book. Look at your entertainment. Look at who you hang around with. Which one are you doing? Clinging to God, hanging with Canaanites. Are we holding fast to God's word in ways? Are we indulging in the immorality of our world? Well, I can't get rid of everybody. No, but you, you know, sometimes I talk to people and they say, well, I have this friend and they live this way. And are you telling me that I need to just quit having anything to do with them? That's, that's not what I'm saying. And I don't think this is what it indicates you have to determine whether you're being influenced or you're influencing because one or the other is happening. If you are trying to influence this person toward Christ and faith, then you have a different motivation for that relationship. And you hold your meetings at places that can be safe for you. Otherwise, you will be sucked under. We looked at this last week. Don't, don't partner with unbelievers. Don't be unequally yoked. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Look at this verse. I'm going to close this section with this verse. It's longer. By his divine power, God has given us what? Do you really think that's the word? You're going to hold on to that word? Everything we need for living a godly life. Do you believe that verse? Do you have everything you need for living a godly life? Do you see any excuses in there? Any justifications? We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. And these are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature. That's the Holy Spirit. And escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Can humans have wrong desires? See, here's the problem. Emotionally, we may be drawn in a way that God says is wrong. But by the Spirit, we can deny those desires. And we can walk in the Spirit God's way. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. And then the third point that I think Joshua makes. Cling tightly to God by 
carefully loving him. This, this verse intrigued me. Verse 11. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. The Hebrew can be translated guard, protect. The New American Standard Bible says, so take diligent heed to yourselves to love God. In other words, make sure you're loving God. Pay close attention to the way you're loving God. I wonder how often we do that. We pay more attention to how we're going to navigate through this day at work, don't we? But are we paying close attention to the way that we love God? God loved Israel. God chose her as his treasured possession, Hebrew segula, from all the peoples of the earth, Deuteronomy 7, 6. I mean, that's how you can see why it compares God and Israel to a husband and, and the wife. Because when we choose a spouse, we're choosing that one person from all the peoples of the earth as a treasured possession. Joshua reminded these leaders to love God carefully and to encourage others to love God that way also. See, love is a far greater and a more lasting motivator to obedience than fear of punishment. You know, the first time I read through this passage, I read through it numerous times as I write the message each week. And the first title I had for this message, which I placed last summer, was Warning. And as I worked through the week, I just struggled and struggled, and it never would come together. And I, I, I said, God, what am I missing here? This thing is just not fitting. And it seemed that he said, you're missing the real lesson. Because the real lesson is love for God. And the warning only follows those who refuse to love God. But isn't love a greater, more lasting motivator than fear of punishment? Isn't love for spouse a greater motivator to faithfulness than fear of getting caught? Of course it is. You never consider such a, an offense. Loving God diligently, thoughtfully, with determination protects us from unfaithfulness, protects us from idolatry. We, we don't want such inferior connections. Here's another warning in verse 12. But if you turn away from him and cling to the customs of the survivors of these nations remaining among you, and if you intermarry with them, See, what would happen is the Jewish men, you know, they'd notice these Canaanite women and they'd get attracted to some of them. And then so they'd marry these pagan women and they'd, they'd be led astray by their hearts, by their emotional attachments 
to their Canaanite wives. And they would be drawn right into adultery. Because, see, the desire to please a spouse, a person you love, is sincere. But it can be extremely dangerous. I could give you an endless list of people who have been led into all kinds of trouble by the loved one. Because that love lowers the resistance. And you know what? Someone you love can be a threat to your faith as well. If the loved one worships a different God or no God at all, that is incompatibility. You know, we, you don't hear the word as much now in our culture, but it used to be sort of a hot-button word. Incompatibility. I, I think it is in divorce. We're incompatible. Well, you know what? Two humans are incompatible. But the greatest incompatibility that can occur, occur between two potential spouses is not racial. It's not financial. It's not cultural. You know what it is? It's spiritual. The greatest difference that occur between two people is one loves God and one is indifferent. That's the greatest separation. What do you think? You can love the wrong person? Yep, come on, give me an answer. What do you think, Brandon? I'm waiting. Yes. You thought sitting halfway back I couldn't see you, but I can. Here's the problem with our culture. Our culture has this foolish statement that love conquers all. And all the differences can be resolved by love. And some can for real love, but our culture doesn't even know what love is. It only knows lust. And when the temperature goes down on the sex, all you have is differences and problems. And often divorce. Love does not conquer all differences. You have to make right decisions. Verse 13. Then know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive them out of your land. God will withdraw his help. Instead, they will be a snare and a trap to you, a whip for your backs and thorny brambles for your eyes. That's very appealing, isn't it? A whip for your backs and thorny brambles for your eyes. That's kind of like a pain in my neck. See, the Canaanites would remain. They would cause trouble, torment, pain. Who remembers who the people were that Saul and David fought with? Say it louder. Philistines. Did you know Philistines were Canaanites? Goliath was a Philistine, but also an Amorite from Beth Huron. And so Saul and David would fight these Philistines. This is over 300 years later. And the Philistines, you know what comes from the word Philistine? Palestine. 
the Philistines were Palestinians. And look at the battle that's going on today between Jews and Palestinians. And it began right here. What's the result? Continue in verse 13. And you will vanish from this good land the Lord your God has given you. Israel ignored this warning. They intermarried. They engaged in idolatry. They started offering their own children as sacrifices. Psalms 106. And God allowed them to be conquered. 800 years later, God allowed a king named Nebuchadnezzar to conquer Judah, to destroy Jerusalem, and to take thousands of Jews into exile in Babylon. And they remained enslaved for 70 years. Verse 14, soon I will die, Joshua saying, going the way of everything on earth. Deep in your hearts, you know that not, that every promise the Lord your God of your, the Lord your God has come true. Not a single one has failed. Whatever God promises, He carries out. It doesn't mean everything we want Him to do, He does, but everything He promises, He carries out. And so Joshua reminded them of God's goodness. He wanted them to reflect on God's fulfilled promises. But he closed with this warning. But surely as the Lord your God has given you the good things he promised, he will also bring disaster on you if you disobey him. He will completely destroy you from this good land he has given you. See, God's word is true, but it refers to both, both the promises and the punishments. If you break the covenant of the Lord your God by worshiping and serving other gods, his anger will burn against you and you will quickly vanish from the good land he has given you. A British preacher of more than a century ago, Charles Spurgeon, said, God will not allow his children to sin successfully. God will not allow his children to sin successfully. We have a covenant with God. It's a new covenant, one with wonderful promises for our good God. But covenants carry expectations as well. And God expects that we live not, not according to his law, but by His Spirit. See, the new covenant has just as, as strong expectations, but the, the law of God, instead of being written in a book, is written on our hearts when the Spirit of God filled our lives. And so loving God carefully, enabled by the Spirit, is the best defense we have against sin. It's the most effective encouragement to live according to the Spirit. So that's the question we close on. Do you love God? You say, that may be an odd question for me. 
we'll work it through. And ask the Spirit to speak to you to confirm your relationship or your lack of relationship. And it may be that he confirms an invitation to you today. There'll be care volunteers here at the front. They'd be happy to talk to you about a relationship with Christ or living by the Spirit or anything I've touched. They'll pray for needs in your life. They'll anoint you with oil for healing. Our memory verse today is a good one. Keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Father, I pray that we would love you carefully, that we would cling to you closely. Lord, if we're slipping away, I pray you would convict us, that you'd show us. If we are associating with the Canaanites in our world and becoming like the world, instead of led by your Spirit, I pray you would show us that right now, Lord. You must draw us back to yourself. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the Sunday Message Podcast. This week, spend some time remembering God's faithfulness. Think of times in the Bible and your own life when God's power and love were evident. Allow this time to deepen your trust in Him through current trials. Then consider future challenges that may come your way when God asks to help you remember His promises and provision. On next week's episode, we'll conclude the series of Joshua, Promises and Power. To prepare, read Joshua chapter 24. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you like what you hear, leave a review so that others can discover how they can have a transformed life in Christ. Thank you so much for listening and have a great week.